from the MZ Studios Dallas Virtual Studios, this is Deconstructing Dallas. Greetings, everyone. This is Ryan Trimble, your co-host and homeschool father extraordinaire, coming to you again. We're back, joined virtually in cyberspace by the great Sean Williams. Sean, good day, sir. Good day, Ryan Trimble. It's already different because usually you make some sort of comment about uh, my choice of of clothing for the day, for that day when we record, but today you have no idea what I'm wearing, and so uh, I see that I don't get, get any props on that today. I'm just hoping you're wearing pants, Sean. Really just hoping you're wearing pants today. Well, I cannot <laughs> confirm or deny the presence of pants. Uh, today. How's it going, man? It's been a long time. It's been too long, Sean. It's, it's, you know what? We have moved past surviving. We are thriving and, uh, we are, uh, homeschooling. We're working, you know, keeping clients happy. We've got, uh, you know, we've got some Walmart stuff that's obviously popped up and, and, uh, worked with uh, Councilman Blewett on something today. And then, uh, uh, you know, we, we're about to start craft time after free time. We're going to make some maracas out of Easter eggs and plastic spoons. So stay tuned for that fun. How about for you, Sean? What's going on? Well, very similar, man. Every every week has kind of been different as far as what my isolation slash social distancing experience has been. There was like the first week it was uh, like me and Malia and then um, there was another week when Miss Torres visited quite often, and then there was another week when it's just me, and then Isaiah, Malia. So it's been like all over the place. So every week is literally a different adventure. But I'm 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 kind of in the same boat as you. Now that we're headed towards 50 days of this, uh, I'm, I'm I'm finding a rhythm, and if I'm hoping that we can, you know, at some point get going, but not too soon, not before our health experts say it's a good time, but it sounds like uh, we're, we're going to be seeing some some new movements here in the next probably week or two. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Um, as many of you know, uh, Governor Abbott announced uh, some, some uh, Get Texas Moving uh, orders yesterday, um, reopening some businesses, restaurants at 25% capacity, movie theaters at 25% capacity. Interesting, uh, you know, an interesting order. It was, uh, there's, there'd been some back and forth with local officials, you know, some, some county judges and, and his office, on you know, how their orders differed, even some uh, differences in what the Trump administration is, is recommending. So, you know, uh, stay tuned, I guess is my only recommendation on that. Uh, stay tuned and stay safe. Uh, obviously we want to beat this thing, Sean, because selfishly I want to go to the beach this summer still. And I'm, I'm holding out hope fingers crossed that that is still a possibility. I also want to tailgate this fall. And so come well, on, I, I hope for all of those things for you. I mean, I am, yeah. I am looking to 2021 for life to get back to normal. But whatever, I mean, I think whatever the science says, I'm I'm really interested to see how the antibody tests roll out and how effective they are. I've done some reading uh, just today about the antibody tests, some that are going on in California, some that are going on in New York. 
And, um, you know, they've had some tests that show up to 15 percent of the population um, has antibodies. But then there's also um, been scientists who said that there's nothing to show that people cannot be reinfected with coronavirus, with COVID-19. So, you know, I am watching just like everybody else from a distance. Uh, just I guess two days ago, my mom, as most folks know, who's in Paris, Texas, in Lamar County, they opened up drive-through testing there, and they had had two cases in the county, and it jumped up to 40 um, in one day, mostly in one nursing home there um, who who had people there, uh, their, their patients or residents there, the, co- the workers, people who have been going in and visiting. So, I mean, we still are, we still, there still needs to be vigilance on all of our parts. Uh, but I, I know uh, just talking to a lot of our colleagues, um, it's great to, that everybody has been adhering to the orders and we could not obviously uh, do anything without giving a lot of props, big ups, mad respect to our first responders, to our healthcare workers, to our essential workers who um, you know, when I go in shopping for groceries, I tell whoever's checking me out, hey, you are the real MVP. You guys have really kept us going through this. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, point of personal privilege, Mr. Speaker, uh, let me give a shout out to Mrs. Trimble, uh, who obviously is the chief of staff for our county judge here in Dallas, uh, who has been tirelessly working. Um, you know, she'll be on the couch after work, three hours after work ends, normal working hours, responding to emails, uh, handling media requests. So it's been it's been quite an adventure here. Um, but I am and managing I, story time with Gigi while doing all those things. That's right. I was going to say, you know, one one group of professionals, and this knowledge only comes to me as a new newly minted homeschool father. Uh, one team of professionals that I think we should have called upon in this pandemic is the Paw Patrol, Sean. They <laughs> seem to uh, be able to solve every problem. Uh, in fact, they are solving an issue at this current moment during this recording. So uh, go Paw Patrol. Well, um, also besides our great first responders and our, our government officials and healthcare workers, I want to uh, make sure to Acknowledge some of our clients as well who are doing a lot of great work. Uh, Ryan, I know you've been working with Walmart a lot, which I'll let you speak to, but I also want to give a a big shout out to Fort Oak Cliff, uh, who has really done a a great job pivoting their services, which, you know, their um, community center within the Glendale Shopping Center was really a hub in the community, a place where people could go and find a safe space, find uh, Wi-Fi, find a lot of the resources that they need in 75216 and what Taylor Toynes calls the super block. But without being able to go that, they've shifted so much of their work. Uh, number one, online, their GED program, has uh, they've shifted that, that focus to virtual, being able to deliver that through virtual platforms. And this month, they've signed up 23 new students to their GED program. And then- yeah, that, that is great work by by Taylor and Xavier and the team. And then they've also been doing food deliveries. They have delivered over 3,600 meals over the last month. They've delivered over 7,000 7, pounds of produce over the last month. And even still working on the urban tree canopy, they have planted 65 trees also. Yeah. So great work by Floral Cliff. I'm breathing 
I'm breathing easier already. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for a clip. And and what about you, Ryan? How, how are things going for you and your clients? Yeah, everything everything's going well. You know, Walmart, of course, is one of our one of our uh, biggest, longest term clients, and really proud of them. It's it's interesting to see uh, how well prepared they've been in this in this pandemic, and uh, especially with all their innovations. Several years ago, they launched uh, online grocery pickup uh, here in the Dallas market, actually, and uh, uh, my colleague. Our colleague Kristen Welsh uh, actually and I worked on it to, uh, together when they launched it at several stores, and it's amazing to see now that it's in thousands of stores just w- what a blessing it is that this company you know took on um, you know pushing the envelope on on uh, changing how we shop, and so uh, it, it's been great and uh, you know f- feels good to have been a part of that. Um, Microsoft, obviously, they're keeping tabs on everything. Uh, seeing how they can be helpful from a technology perspective, and uh, I know that our friends over at uh, over at SMU are are keeping an eye on things and uh, hoping to get to get back in the saddle soon. Um, I did want to say one note: we uh, we have a new client, uh, GAF. Uh, they they are the largest uh, uh, largest producer of roofing product in the world, and they um, during this during the this the shutdown the stay at home order um they were designated a an essential business so they got to uh do a cool project they helped uh Santa Teresa Church over in West Dallas they they donated the supplies they worked with a local roofing contractor and put a new roof on the church long overdue but uh, now the the church has a new roof so uh, I will, I'll, I'll share that link. I've shared it on my Twitter. Y'all can go check it out there, but a really fun story and a big thanks to our friend Alana Quillen at NBC five for covering it. So, well, yeah. the church and GAF are both neighbors of mine right down the street. So yeah, I'm glad to, that, that we've been able to work with them. And, uh, before we, we move into our, our interview, I would be remiss if I did not, uh, congratulate newly minted Chicago police superintendent, David Brown, former chief of police here in Dallas, who uh, is taking over, um, I believe the third largest police department in the United States. And uh, really, really excited for my old boss and also excited that we here at Alameda had the opportunity to work with Chief Brown during his application process. uh, And that included us being able to uh, produce a video for Chief Brown uh, that was part of his submission, and that um, was um, a 20-minute video that talked about his philosophy on policing and talked about his time here, how he views the future of policing. So um, I, I want to give uh, big props to Chief Brown and and looking forward to the work that he's going to do in Chicago. I think he's just the person that they need right now. Yeah, congratulations on that, Sean. I know that was a <clears throat> that was an important. Uh, an important uh, job, and uh, I know you and Chief Brown are close, and so it's really cool to see uh, to see him taking on a big role uh, like that again. Uh, hats off to him. So, well, uh, speaking of which, we got another client, Ryan, uh, that's relatively new to our firm, and we're going to be talking to the CEO uh, of that of that client, and that is Texas Central Partners. We're going to be talking to Carlos Aguilar. Yeah, this is a, a cool project. As me, you know, this is high speed rail. Uh, you 
when this project is completed, you'll be able to get from Dallas to Houston in 73 minutes. I mean, think about that. <laughs> I, you and I could zip down, see the ponies at University of Houston, and be back all in the same night, Sean. Yeah, I, I got it down for uh, a weekday Mavs Rockets game to get down and get back. I mean, you could you could go after work, man, and get back and make it back, and get plenty of sleep for the next day. Easy. So this is it's, it's cool. It's exciting to work on this you know transformational project, and so looking forward to getting into it with uh, with Carlos and uh, grateful to work uh, be able to have the opportunity to work on such a cool project. Well, uh, right after this break, we're going to be speaking with Carlos Aguilar here. This is Deconstructing Dallas, Sean Williams, Ryan Trimble. Uh, Glad to be back with everyone. And we ask that you hang with us through the break. We'll be right back after this. Deconstructing Dallas, Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams, and Sean, I am super excited to visit with our guest today. He, of course, is the president and CEO of Texas Central. Welcome, Carlos Aguilar. Carlos, how are you today? Thank you so much for for the invitation. Doing great. That's great. Well, uh, we've gotten the pleasure of of meeting you and getting to know you, uh, you know, working on the project, but Carlos, tell tell our audience just a little bit about yourself, your background, where you're from, and and uh, what brought you to the project. Sure, of course. Um, I was born in Costa Rica, lived in have lived in the U.S. over over 30 years, so most of my adult life, and uh, working primarily first in banking and then in large infrastructure. So for the last 20 plus years, my my life was has been developing projects of sort of this magnitude around the world in different sectors from power plants to energy projects to transportation projects, airports, uh, rail systems, and so on. Carlos, many of our listeners have, have probably heard of the high-speed rail, especially here in Dallas and maybe Houston and all the places in between. But tell our listeners a little bit about the project and also what the status of the project currently is. Of course. Thank you so much. Um, well, it, it is really an amazing uh, project. It's a, a great feat of engineering, first of all. And uh, in terms of efficiency of transportation, it's going to be an incredible addition to the Texas economy and, of course, to Houston, Dallas, and all places in between. It is 240 miles of um, track that we will be building between the two cities with stations at both ends in in Houston and in Dallas and one in uh, in the Brazos Valley so it's really um an integrator to the economy of the whole whole region it uh, it will go you know 205 miles an hour it'll be able to transport folks from one end of the system to the other within 80 minutes or so and uh really transforming the way we we travel we expect to be, you know, taking about 15,000 cars off the road 
as a result of this. So, of course, it has a good environmental impact. And then you look at, uh, you know, predictability uh, and efficiency and safety. Those are the three elements that come into play. And uh, it is incomparable, that, you know, as, as compared to other modes of transportation. It's really the safest system uh, of transportation around the world. The technology we've chosen is, is the Shinkansen technology out of Japan. And in 55 years and over 10 billion passengers transported, they've had no accidents and no fatalities uh, to speak of at all. So that is the kind of uh, efficiency and safety that we want to bring to Texas. The status currently is uh, we're completing our permitting process. Uh, we have... Uh, we're nearing the completion of what's called the final environmental impact statement. And that uh, should be done by the end of, um, of May. We are also completing our safety rule, which is a, the rules under which the train will operate here in Texas. And uh, there are hearings on this that will happen Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week. And uh, the common period for that should be ending at the end of May as well. So permits uh, all together will be ready by mid-year or so. And uh, that will take us to the next phase, which is really going into what's called the financial close and, of course, uh, the construction phase. And that will follow after, after this, uh, this permitting process is completed. Now, Carlos, that, that was exactly where I was going to go next. Uh, you know, you've cleared some big hurdles. A couple more. It looks like we're uh, we're on approach, and so that's very exciting. Um, tell us about tell us about the local impact to Dallas. What what's the vision? I mean, the, the station. Uh, you know, what's the station idea? Give us a view of how this is going to um, impact our our local listeners. Yeah, well, the station would be located right south of the convention center here in Dallas and uh, over by Cadiz Road uh, and Hotel Road, if you know where that is. So that intersection is where the, the station would be. And uh, it would connect uh, pretty efficiently to, to the convention center and, of course, to DART and to other modes of transportation. So the idea is to make it as uh, as friendly as possible. The, the city's actually thinking of uh, setting up an, an intermodal, um, you know, station or hub uh, right next to our station. So that that would be uh, incredibly uh, positive for us and for all folks living in the Dallas area. So with both projects um, combined, you would have very very swift. Uh, connection to all modes of, of transport in, in the area. The um, it, It'll be, a, again, a, a pretty simple uh, facility because what we are really looking to do is um, make the access to the train as efficient as possible. So we're going through different simulations as to how folks would get to the side, how they would access the, the station and how they would go from there to the trains. And um, that requires a lot of efficiency. So the idea is that um, from the curbside to the train, you'll be at the platform within a minute or a couple of minutes. 
that's the idea so that people understand and get to know the efficiency that rail travel at high speeds uh, actually brings. And um, so that in general would be what the, what the station would look like. Carlos, um, there are so many parts to making a project like this go, and there are a lot of different levels of, of approvals that have to be ascertained. And I'm just wondering, uh, right now, what, what is the status uh, of all the different agencies that you all have to get your approvals from? And uh, where, where are you and where, what are the next big steps that you have to have to get through? Sure, ab absolutely. Um, this is by no means a single effort. You know, it's, it's, a, it's teamwork all the way. This is what all of these initiatives are. And as you well say, we have to work with many counterparts to get it done. From the city authorities to the state level authorities to, of course, the federal government. So it requires lots of approvals from different agencies in many, many respects. As I said, the environmental process is uh, one that's led by the FRA, the Federal Railroad Administration. And um, that is, you know, progressing really well, and we expect that to be done by the end of May. Um, but that also brings um, a long uh, coordination with, uh, I believe, 19 agencies in total, both at the state and federal levels, to give you a sense of the complexity of that. So all of these agencies have uh, commented into the FEIS. And that is a document that would come out at the end of the month. After that, you also have to um, get approval from uh, other agencies, such as the uh, U.S. Corps of Engineers, the Army Corps of Engineers. And that uh, is for any impacts that you have either on their structures or also on what's called waters of the U.S. So any impacts on waters along the alignment that we have, uh, we would have to get permits from them, that those are of course all underway. And then you go into things like interconnection agreements. You have to source power for this project and ensure that we have the availability and uh, interconnection uh, to power sources. Uh, this is electric, it's an electric system, and as such, we need to get that power from them. So that means working with, um, with power companies to ensure that we uh, are able to secure those. Then you have um, agreements with um, other railroads, railroads that uh, use uh, the alignments or are close to our alignment, and therefore we have to coordinate our activities versus what they do. TxDOT is another example. Any road crossing that we have, uh, we will have to coordinate with them, and of course with every county that we go through. So it is really a, a myriad of of, um, of different types of permits, and as I say, it has to do it has to do with teamwork, and you really can't impose anything on anybody. You just have to work it through and ensure that we do it right. Another coordination that's important is any uh, relocation of of uh, of activities that we have, things like uh, utilities, uh, telecoms, or or pipelines or whatever it is that, that we may impact as we go uh, along the, the alignment. This is normal to every project, but it's one that requires a lot of care and a lot of detail. So that gives you a sense of the complexity of the, of the job. 
Yes, I'm glad you explained that to me. Uh, really appreciate it. So I, I know that uh, somebody else out there will be uh, glad to have that information. This is Deconstructing Dallas, Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with our guest, Carlos Aguilar, right after this. Welcome back. This is Deconstructing Dallas. I am Sean Williams with my co-host Ryan Trimble, and we are so excited to have Carlos Aguilar on with us. He is president and CEO of Texas Central. Carlos, you know, one thing that's on many people's minds right now is jobs. Um, obviously, in light of the global pandemic that we find ourselves in, unemployment is going up. Uh, people have been furloughed. Some folks are taking a pay cut. And, you know, this project stands to bring, I've seen it and understand there's a lot of jobs that'll be coming to Texas as a result of this project. But I'd love to hear you expand a little bit more on what that means and what this project will mean for Texas. Thank you so much. Yeah, the, the, the timing for the project is really becoming crucial to help the Texas economy. And I, I would even go beyond that, the U.S. economy in, in terms of the supply chain that that we have for the project. I'll give you some examples. In terms of direct labor, we have about 17,000 jobs that will be created. That is within the Texas Central build plan alone. So folks between Dallas and Houston working on the on the project, about 14,000 craft workers and uh, close to 3,000 uh, engineering level and project management level folks. So it is uh, a lot of jobs at a time when we most need them. And uh, not only that, you know, after we start uh, construction, the construction phase within the first year, we could have more than a third of those jobs already, already hired and working uh, full time. So around 6,500 folks could be on the ground within six months or so. It is really important that we look at this impact and how quickly that that would come to be. Um, you look at uh, economic impact and just the supply chain for the project generates something like $10 billion worth of U.S. purchases. And that's everything from, you know, close to a billion pounds of rebar uh, to you know, five or six uh, million cubic yards of uh, concrete. And that is, uh, you know, twice the, the size of the Hoover Dam, to put it in perspective. So it is really an incredible amount of, of material that we have to source out of uh, you know, plants all over Texas and all over the United States. So really large uh, economic impact and, of course, uh, jobs that come with it. It is in the tens of billions of dollars that we would inject into the economy within the next uh, five or six years. Yeah, that, that, that's really amazing. And and just uh, the jobs alone piece is amazing. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about how it'll amplify both the Dallas and the Houston economies specifically? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, again, there's the construction phase, and that will be uh, sourcing not not only again jobs, which of course are are needed, but uh, employing um, smaller contractors, smaller companies, smaller logistics firms that would come and and serve the project. And uh, just in the, you know, minority and um, women-owned business categories, we're targeting something like $4 billion of sourcing. And all of that would be local sourcing to give you a sense of the impact that it would have not only uh, with the big contractors, but with everybody else. Um, you know, things like, uh, how many drilling machines we need to do the drill shafts for the viaducts for the project. It is about 700 units at a time. So we, we will be building a lot at the, of, of this project at a very fast pace. And that requires up to things like 700, um, boring machines, um, or drilling machines. So that, that gives you a sense of, uh, of the magnitude and broad impact it has. And I'm very glad to say that uh, the detail with which this has been put together um, brings that, that kind of certainty. We've looked at, you know, what supply of equipment there is, what supply of labor there is in the local economy, uh, who all of these uh, vendors could be. And the priority will be without a doubt to local uh, this is, um, you know, rural, minority, veteran-owned uh, businesses that will help us do this. So really very broad impact, not only in terms of large impact, but also distributed into, into the economy. Carlos, you know, this is obviously a new way of travel for people in America. But as we're looking at post, a post-COVID-19 world, uh, how is there, are there any changes, uh, to what you guys are looking at? I mean, how does this relate to, uh, the new, new world we're going to be finding ourselves in once we clear through this? Yeah, th- that's a really important question. I mean, um, we will all have to adjust to the, to that post COVID world as you, as you, as you call it. Uh, and it has to do with procedures that will have the stations ensure that everybody is safe and that we uh, comply with any requirements, uh, you know, from the sanitary authorities and so on. But uh, one characteristic that this train has that is actually going to enable us to be uh, better prepared for that is that from the very start, our design is based on complying fully with ADA requirements, Americans with Disabilities Act uh, requirements. And that means that the spacing of our seating, the size of our bathrooms, the um, width of our aisles, uh, the pitch, the distance between seating um, in each car, and so on, the, the size of our doors, all of that is larger than uh, what is customary in the industry. So for that purpose, we will have a lot more space for less people being transported, and that will definitely allow us to be more uh, better prepared to face, um, you know, any any circumstance such as the one that we're having today. Uh, there are some studies that show that uh, high-speed rail will be favored, and this is mostly in Europe, 
uh, as a result of COVID at the end of, um, of this phase that we're going through. Uh, but as I say, because of our design and the way we've approached it, uh, it, it actually will allow us to be better prepared for it. Well, I, for one, am excited. I know Sean and I have talked about it, talked about going down grabbing a Mavs game, watching an SMU game, and uh, coming back the same night. So uh, we're looking forward to seeing the project uh, come to fruition. Uh, Carlos, if our listeners wanted to stay informed on, on the project, where, sh- where could they look? Well, first of all, you can text TRAIN to 52886 to stay informed. And, of course, uh, you can reach us at uh, www.texascentral.com and all the taglines that uh, are, you know, in that link uh, for all the social media platforms. So uh, all of those are accessible at the, at the website. Well, Carlos, this has been really good information for us. It's been great information for our listeners, and we really appreciate you taking some time out with us. We look forward to talking to you soon, and uh, just you know, stay safe, and, and we'll catch up down the road. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, great talking to you. Thank you. That is Carlos Aguilar, the president and CEO of Texas Central. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and be back to wrap up right after this. This is Deconstructing Dallas. Deconstructing Dallas, Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams. Sean, what a great, great segment, man. I'm, I'm fired up to uh, to hop on the train and head south. Me too. The, the great thing about talking to Carlos uh, and the, the times we've had an opportunity to spend time with him is just how much information he is constantly carrying around with him. You know, I would have to have I'd have to have mountains of notes and facts and figures and probably books and manuals. And he's able to rattle all that information off, uh, which is great that for a project this important that we have somebody like Carlos that's that's in charge. Yeah, it's really cool. So th- a big, big shout out to Carlos again for uh, for coming on with us today. Sean, I know you've been uh, enjoying uh some some uh, some ESPN content. Man, I have been enjoying content from every platform. I feel Amazon, Netflix, Hulu. But every, the last couple of Sundays, I have found myself wrapped up, all the way wrapped up in The Last Stand, the ESPN 10-part documentary that is chronicling last the, last season, the Last Dance. The last dance of the last season of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, and man, it, it is taking me back to a place that is so fun to to retrack and revisit because the Bulls were my favorite team because the local team at the time was terrible, <laughs> uh, and so I had to root for somebody, and I tracked with the Bulls, and it was like from my when Michael Jordan hit the scene, it was probably my I'd say eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade year, all the way through college and my 
uh, first adult years. The year they won was by literally my graduation year going into uh, my first year after college. So yeah, uh, cool. this has been a fun time to, to watch um, watch this this documentary. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's fun. I need to, uh, I need to play catch up on it, but, uh, uh, it's, it's funny. My, my best buddy guy I grew up with, uh, I, I knew it was going to be a big deal because, uh, this guy never misses an opportunity for uh, shameless self <laughs> and I love him dearly and I'm proud of him and I, it, it's all worth it. But, uh, the night before one of the episodes where Jordan's, uh, standing in front of a bunch of campers, I don't know if it was like the mm-hmm. ADE camp or whatever. But uh, uh, or Nike camp or something. But this guy, he's now a coach at University of Memphis. He's coached the NBA. But uh, <laughs> he, he shamelessly uh, grayed everybody else in the picture out except for him and Jordan in the crowd and posted that and said, get ready, everybody. I'm in the last dance tonight. So uh, <laughs> I obviously need to play catch up to keep up with uh, the great Cody, Cody Topper. So uh, I mean, with Cody and his self promotion skills, I'm I'm shocked that we have not had him as as a guest yet because he would fit right in. Uh, he'd be great. He'd be great. So whenever they come back through, uh, <laughs> Memphis comes back through. We'll have to try to get him on. Yeah, he was a little miffed the last time because SMU bit him and got him, so uh, he was not pleased. But well, maybe, maybe by the time we get to do this again, you will have had a chance to watch an episode or two. But I, I can tell you, it is great theater. It's my pleasure to you, Sean Williams. All right, man. Well, um, let's 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 do this again. This was fun. It was uh, an experiment uh, as such, but it was great to have a great guest on. So I'm down to try this again. We had uh, some technical help for sure from Michael Zavalos and MZ Studios. So. Uh, I, I'm really excited to have Michael on board. Yeah, big thanks to Michael. He's a good, good dude, and uh, figured out all the uh, all the technical stuff uh, that I am not even close to able to accomplish. So, thank you, Michael. Well, this has been deconstructing Dallas. Sean Williams, Ryan Trimble. We want to thank our listeners who have stuck through this and are picking us back up. It's been a minute, and we've tried to figure out how to get this content back on track and it looks like we have uh yes please do not excuse the pun kind of just flowed with that um but we are excited to to keep this rolling and so thanks to jennifer pascal and mary willief the owners of allen media we want to thank our entire team who has uh really worked well through this crisis we want to uh just ask you to please share this as folks are looking for stuff to listen to and take a part in while we're still at home please share this with your friends share this with your family let people know uh you can find us on social media i am at sean s-h-a-w-n-p williams he is at r tremble 15 on twitter uh please share this with your friends and fam and let us know what you think so until we have an opportunity to come back again this is sean williams ryan tremble we are deconstructing dallas adios